City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to Inside the Hive. I am James Plarai, and back from his trip to Las Vegas Summer League, Chase Whitney is joining me. Chase, how are you doing? Recovering from the Vegas heat? I'm fully recovered. It's a pleasure to be back in the saddle here. I'm I'm very excited to dive into these these prospects here that we saw play what five games out in Vegas over the last week or so. It's a we it's got a nice we got to watch out, out way too many Hornets. games, way too yes. many Hornets Summer League games. Oh my gosh, the viewing experience. Times you have to be like, why am I choosing to watch this? <laughs> but it's hey, like you traveled you traveled all the way out, out in the summer. Yeah, I know. I, I saw it live. I got the firsthand experience of, of the Summer Hornets this year. Whether or not that was a good thing, I will leave that up to the viewers or the listeners' judgment. But, hey, I, I, I got to see it. So You got to see away. the uh, historic Hornets-Lakers game, which I think was the <laughs> – I feel like that was the low point of, like, the low points was that game when they were, like, getting blown out by 20 by Jalen Hutchifino and Max Christie. Um yeah, that was that was a, a tough viewing. But yeah, how was how was your Vegas experience? It was a blast. I, I had never been out to Vegas like in the summer before, so wasn't used to the heat. But I got used to it a lot quicker than I thought. I watched, I think, fifteen basketball games in three days Ooh. or the three like full days that I was there. So I definitely got my money's worth and made my my trip out there worthwhile. I like I absolutely love like being in the arena for all those games, like especially over the last couple of years, like having gotten further into the draft, like basically knowing like the high majority of the players that are at summer mm. league and having watched them before getting to see them in person for the first time was really fun. I love watching like prospects and young players in person and stuff. And then, you know, three years later thinking about how much better they've gotten since that time that you saw them. So it's good to have uh, all these, uh, these experiences and all these notes logged in my head from uh, a live viewing. So I have to ask you, um give me give me three names from summer league who you enjoyed watching most hmm jordan walsh has got to be up there i know that's that's your guy too he's somebody that his like length and athleticism stands out immediately like when you see him he's not you know there quite yet as a shooter or ball handler or anything like that but though he did make quite a few threes Uh, i think he had four threes in a game against miami uh for the celtics there but I mean, his like his length and defense is like legitimately imposing in a summer league environment. The stupidest thing I heard all pre-draft, and I can't even remember who said this, was someone who went, "Well, you look at Jordan Walsh's mechanics, and they, they look really good and they're really smooth, but the ball just doesn't go in." So that's why I'm really worried about Jordan Walsh's shooting compared to someone with terrible mechanics. And I listened to that, and I'm like, "What? What, what are we doing here?" This, the argument normally is if they've got good mechanics, then 
It's probably a little bit of situation. It's a repeatable motion. They'll be able to work at it with more reps. Why are we flipping this argument around? And like you said, he went straight into Summer League. He shot the ball really well. And I, I can't remember who it was who made that point, but that was one when I was listening to a pre-draft. I was like, you're just trying too hard to like come up with a, like to be different here. I just don't get it. Yeah, right. Like typically you would use basically like the complete opposite logic <laughs> like yes. when, when you're when you're thinking about it but yeah, yeah i'm trying mean, to be too clever just trying to be too clever right. when it comes to pre-draft analysis that's all it is right, right? yeah the, the draft space definitely has a bit of, a, of an issue with that uh, in the last yeah. couple of years but another guy that was really good jabari smith obviously everybody did you see the that. game winner that game no i didn't see that oh. game I, that was the day before i got there i think but i saw he had like i think it was 15 in the first quarter uh, against the Pistons, I want to say, was the game I watched. Uh, Asar Thompson is another guy that likes his athleticism and physicality and size like stands out in person quite a bit, just in relative to the other wings that he's playing with and the other ball handlers and stuff. I mean, there were like, there were so many good young players and even like good veterans that, you know, are trying to crack back into the NBA and get like their last, you know, last chance to, crack a rotation in the league like there were so many of those players too i mean i think they had to had to add an extra person to the all summer league team uh so there are like six players on the second on the second team so i mean that just goes to show you how many guys played well this year out in vegas you saw wemby right oh i did i, I saw him sorry you think, you yeah, saw i wasn't going you there saw wemby. I, I was about you saw wemby and you mentioned jordan walsh as the first guy, of course, <laughs> who you who you thought, oh yeah, like this is the guy I want to. Th-. You went and saw Victor Wembanyama. This is the most typical like draft basketball nerd, <laughs> yeah. like point when right. you're just like, oh, the, the Celtics early second round pick just blew me away. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean that is, that was a, quite an experience. So I will I will note for anybody that wasn't there and hasn't seen him in person, which he played in France. So I imagine that that's most people listening to this. He is exactly as large in person as you would think. Like he is just so tall. It's like preposterous. And the plays that he makes on defense and like just the way that he stands with his arms out is just a deterrent for everything. Like there are going to be so many passing angles that just that exist when every other player is on the court but they no longer exist when Wemby's out there. And like, that's going to take time for people to get used to. And it's, it's going to be something special to watch. I think in his first like couple of seasons when the league before the league really realizes like, Oh, this guy has like a nine foot wingspan and he can also run and jump and do everything else. Like it's, it's, it's crazy to see it up close. I just hate that he went to a West coast team. Cause I'm not going to be able to, I know much of him. Um, right. I mean, yeah, I, even the people on the East coast are going to struggle with that. <laughs> like having to stay up to like 10 PM when they have to play yeah. like on the, in the Pacific time zone. That's tough. Yeah. But, um, well, I'm, I'm happy you got to see Wemby. I'm happy you got to see Summer League. 15 games, three days. That's a lot of basketball. So I'm sure you're ready for this off-season break. And we are getting towards our off-season break here for the All Hornets podcast. Um, obviously, we'll hopefully be able to cover some pieces of news as they break. Um, hopefully, maybe a PJ Washington update at some point. And also because this, I'm guaranteed this will be my last podcast before I am a dad. Because we are now nine days overdue, my wife. Bless her. She's been an absolute soldier. Uh, I want to shout out my wife, Jess. Um, we are the last ones of our like group, our parenting group, who have not had our baby yet. We are waiting. 
Uh, I will update the people. I've had a couple of people message me on Twitter asking, like, surely the baby must be here by now. No, not yet. Uh, but it will be here by the end of the week because if it goes any further, things are going to happen. So it's going to be here by the end of the week, and I will be a dad the next time we podcast. And that's why I'm not, I'm not precious. We might run long today, right? This is my last chance as a, a you know, by myself, not to have any worries about a kid crying upstairs on the podcast. So I'm going to enjoy it today. And we've got a good show because we finally have the time to talk about the whole body of work for the Hornets Summer League team. Um, they went one and six, I want to say, uh, between both the California Classic and the Las Vegas Summer League team. We're going to touch on grades for every one of the Hornets draft selections. Also looking at some player comps, especially for some of the rookies. And also discussing what sort of role we think each of these guys might have for the upcoming season. Um, so before we dive just into that, I want to quickly look at some a draft mulligan for both of us, right? Um, if we can look back on our draft boards now, who is one guy who we kind of regret having so high? And then also just quickly want us to share who is one guy we're planting our flag on that we are happy after seeing some league that we are very happy with where we had that said player rank. So let's go, let's go glass half full first. Who is the guy you're most proud of from your ranking that maybe you might've seen a person at summer league who you feel strongest about? I feel the strongest about my ranking of 2023 summer league first teamer. Check that. We're, we're going to put that on the Wikipedia right at the top for Cam Whitmore. I had him at number four, made the first team all summer league, as I just mentioned, played he was well. The MVP. Yeah, right. He played well literally every game that he played in. It, I think his three point efficiency was like sub 30% or something like that. Um, but other than that, like there's really nothing that you could point to that wasn't just a positive for him. The shot making was so crazy at times, like the step back long twos that he hits. And as soon as they leave his hand, like you can tell that he just has the perfect mechanics and he shoots such a soft ball that they're, they're going to go right in as soon as he lets go of it. Um, I mean, he, he is easily the guy that I'm, you know, I try not to get too far ahead of myself with summer league as I've had to talk myself back a little bit with Cam Whitmore after these performances that he's had. Um, but I'm definitely glad that I had him in my top five here. Um, I, but I have to say, I think he had a good summer league. Don't get me wrong. I didn't even have him in my top 10 players for like, I did my all NBA summer league teams, which I posted on my profile today and he didn't even make the cut. I don't know how he got MVP. Yeah. Like, even I, I, I think don't think I would have, would have done that, but no, was, I think it's because he it. played in like all the games maybe. And they want to like True. reward players who do that. I, he didn't even like he was probably like in the honorable mentions list for me for my top two teams but uh but yeah i i you know i think i had cam whitmore 11 in the end or no no i had him 12 um uh, and yeah i think he definitely played above his draft slot i think that's fair so uh credit for you for, for cam whitmore you you stood strong there um planting the flag um i'm gonna go keontae george uh, who I had 11th on my board, which I feel by the time the draft came around, people had him like mostly outside the lottery, sometimes that going down in the 20s. And he was not like a, a potential uh, slider at one point. Um, but I thought George, for me, he was like my summer league MVP. I thought he was absolutely excellent. 
Um, his decision-making looked improved. I always said he was one of, the, I think, maybe the most underrated shot maker in the draft and one of the best shot makers in the draft. And I just thought he looked excellent out there, like very high ceiling type of good. Did you manage to see Keontae at all? That Utah was one of the few teams that I didn't get to watch. Uh, but this this will segue perfectly into our next section, which is our mulligan, because Keontae was actually my mulligan. Uh, <laughs> he had he was so good, I, and I had him really low. He was outside the top twenty five for me, uh, but he was really good. The shoot the shot was on all week. I mean, he was getting it like off the dribble. He can play off ball. He's a good cutter. He was very involved, like in their offense, as much more than just a you know microwave scorer. Even though that was you know, what he was doing very well in the moment, but it wasn't as much as Baylor where he was either scoring or kind of just deferring and, you know, not necessarily being as involved as you would like to see that. That was not a problem at all uh, with Utah in these summer league games. And they almost made the summer league championship. They lost in the semifinals. So, I mean, they were clearly like a very good yeah. team in that environment. Well, they benched he everybody, a, didn't they? They benched all that good players. Yeah. And, you know, like yeah. Lucas Shamanich didn't play at the end. Taylor Hendricks, didn't even play a game. And that like, that was somebody that, you know, people thought was maybe one of the more NBA ready guys coming into the draft. He didn't play a game for them in summer league and they were still a very quality roster. So good, good for Utah. They assembled a good group of 15 guys that had never played with each other. And two weeks later, they looked like they had been teammates forever. So, yeah. Um, Okay, for me, a couple of guys in the running. Hunter Tyson, I had 52nd. I thought he was phenomenal. I got to see Hunter he was Tyson really good. a couple of games. He was great. I had Bilal Kulabali 20th. I thought he looked better than I actually thought he was going to in this setting. But the guy I'm going is Ryan Repair, 17th. Um, just looked a few years away, if I'm being honest, with Portland. Uh, he came off the bench most of it, but even when he started, the offense just seemed so far away. Uh, the defense wasn't as impactful as I was hoping for. We didn't get to see much playmaking. He just kind of felt like he was out there trying not to make mistakes and... I, I, I seem to fall into this trap every year with the odd like Euro guy who I'm just get carried away with. And I just love the defense so much when I watched it second time round. Because after I watched them at first, I wasn't sold and I dived back, back in and I was impressed. But yeah, Ryan Repair, I should have had him. He was clearly not as ready to be a top 20 pick as he, as he should have been. So that's, that's my guy. Um, I had the same thought about him too. When Scoot went down, I thought... Like, and I, we've had this conversation on the pod before is like, I thought his playmaking was like a selling point with him. I thought maybe that would be an opportunity to show it a little bit, but it didn't really pan out that way for whatever reason. It's not like necessarily his fault. Summer league isn't the easiest yeah. environment to show like how good of a table setting passer you are. So maybe that yeah. was why, but yeah, I, I had the, the same thought. But no, I'm glad you shout out Jordan Walsh. I think I had him 26. I'm mm -hmm. feeling really good about that. Jalen Wilson, who I was up pretty he high on this. Like, he looked pretty good with the Nets too. So we got some wins, we had some losses, but uh, I'm I'm pretty happy really overall my ranking so far. But let's let's move on to the Hornets. Um, let's. Well, I'll let you start. Start where you want to start. We're going to do grades, comps, and then NBA role on the Hornets roster for next season. I'll let you choose. Where do you want to go? I mean, I think we got to start from the top here, right? Okay. The people, the people are coming to hear us talk about Brandon Miller and his performance out in Las Vegas. The number two pick in the draft, uh, much much maligned to this point by both the Charlotte Hornets fan base and the media and every, you know, group that you could that you could single out, was definitely looking to see how well Brandon Miller was going to play 
in these summer league games, given the magnitude of his draft selection last year or last last month, I should say. Sorry. But I mean, the numbers are one thing, but I actually think he played pretty well, given the circumstances. Uh, I don't know. Uh, we can discuss the the exact grades after we hash things out a little bit. But I mean, he struggled, I thought, with a lot of the same things he did in college and the shooting percentages don't bother me because it's not like he's a bad shooter. Like there's so yeah. much evidence that he's a very good shooter. So that is kind of just a wash. And to me, like the lack of playmaking and spacing on the team is a massive reason for why I think that was the case was that he didn't shoot very well. He was easily the best passer on the roster and he did get to show off like his feel for the game. He has really good pace as like a ball handler and pick and rolls. And even as like a driver scorer, like going to the rim, he can really he's really good at getting defenders in jail like on his back and then just kind of working his way slowly into the paint. Uh, I think he's going to be able to draw fouls at a pretty solid rate for a rookie. Um and I think for we, someone who doesn't you know, love getting to the rim, he, d- right. he does a great job drawing these fouls, doesn't he? A few times like is really smart in that once he gets to like that kind of like free throw line area, just knows how to initiate contact, right? Right, exactly. And I mean, I think maybe you saw some of the like athletic separation shortcomings that people were concerned about in college but i mean like you just said like you can see that he has that like knack for scoring in that area and if not like actually hitting a shot at least getting to the free throw line which we've already established he's a fantastic shooter so he's most of the time going to get you a couple points when he goes to the line yeah i mean he, and the, hand, the I, handle like he's not bursty yeah. like athletically but I mean, he put Wemby on his backside. Right. Like we would have got a, if it was Eric Collins, he would have shouted that he put Wemby on his fanny because that's what Eric Collins loves to do. Um, he there was another kind of like dribble dribble drive move. I think it was maybe against Portland where like he completely had the defender. It might have been Jabari Walker like on a on a yo yo, just like just playing with them. Um, yeah, I definitely think he, he showed some flashes. Um, I think what you mentioned was key was the environment of this team. We talked about how bad this team was. They averaged 12 assists a game for the for the games that Brandon Miller played. And that was not down to Brandon Miller. That was down to the rest of the roster and the, the team just not performing. So for him to actually be able to put up just okay stats, and he definitely missed some shots that you, you kind of felt like he would make. He missed some, especially some threes. He didn't get a ton of open ones early, but I think as summer league went on, he got more and more better looks. And I, I think it started rocky. I, you know, I think if it wasn't for his last couple of games, maybe the, the Spurs game, the last game, uh, I can't try to think the last game was against Portland. Um, those are his best games. And I mean, we'll come to grades now. I was torn between a C plus and a B minus, but I've, I've gone with a B minus based off how he finished positive, based off that. I still think there is no way you can argue that that mono won't have been affecting him. It's not just like something that can go away. Mono can stick with you for months and we know he lost that weight. So with all that added context, with the poor team context, for him just to look like a a good player, but also knowing like if he is missing some of the same shots that he was missing here, like halfway through the season, I would have some questions. Don't get me wrong, but I'm willing to waive it because of what I've seen previously. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at. I'd probably give him a B, just because like I'm I'm I really I really forgive a lot of his you know inefficiencies for the team context that he played in. Like I think all things considered, like he still looked what you could call like pretty good. Like and he's gonna look even better next to Lamelo, and it 
became evident that that's going to be the case. And I mean, he went on Paul George's podcast. He literally said that. Like, he was like, who are you most looking forward to playing? Paul George asked him that. Yeah. And he was like, oh, I want to play with LaMelo. He's like a high IQ basketball player. And like, we can both get each other to ball. Like, it's it's going to go so much better when he plays with not only a point guard, but like one of the best passing point guards in the entire league. So very excited for that going forward. I think I'd give him a flat B. Okay. So in terms of comparisons for Brandon Miller, um, I, we talked about pre-draft a couple, which are like Paul George, Brandon Ingram, Jason Tatum. But I had someone in my Twitter timeline today, uh, shout out to Zach James Fleming, an Aussie Australian Hornets fan, who actually put out a really, really good comparison, which was Danny Granger. And I started looking Ooh. at Danny Granger's number and I was like, this makes so much sense. Like a really good three-point shooter, decent rebounder, better shot blocker than you remember. And Danny Granger tailed off with injuries now. Don't get me wrong, it, like, it was a sudden drop. But if you look at the profile, he was 6'9", big shot maker, could handle the ball and create a little bit and pass. Um, that was a really interesting comparison that I'd not necessarily... I think I had seen at some point, but it didn't really compute. But this time, I think after seeing him in Summer League, it definitely definitely came along. Uh, what, do, what do you think for that one? That's really good. I had never really thought of that. Yeah, I mean, Danny Granger peaked at 26, 5, and 3 and was an all-star. I feel like that's a pretty reasonable projection yeah. peak for Brandon Miller at this point. Danny Granger's really good. The one that I've had in my mind for a while is Chris Middleton. Uh, I think he probably has like a higher ceiling as a scorer than Chris Middleton, just given how good of a shooter he is from deep range and how much more teams shoot threes than when they did it like really? the early beginning stages of Chris Middleton's career. Um, but I think they have very similar like passing chops. Like Danny Granger, is, I, I, like I said, averaged three assists at his peak. Chris Middleton's pretty consistently like a four or five assists per game guy. And I think going forward, if Brandon Miller is the second best passer in the Hornets, you know, best five lineup, which as of now, he probably is like LaMelo, Terry, Miles, Brandon Miller, Mark. That uh, Brandon Miller is the secondary playmaker in that lineup to me. So I think yeah. that that's highly, highly probable that he could get up to like four or five assists per game if that role and situation Definitely. continues into his prime. But Dan, uh, Danny Granger is really good. I really like that cop, comp for And, good, and I do agree that. with you. I think he is a better playmaker, I think, in his prime projects to be than, than Danny Granger. I think Danny Granger in his like, best season was two and a half assists. I mean, Brandon Miller was up at like just under four in Summer League. Um, right. The the Chris Middleton one, the, the only difference, I, I think you're right. The only difference I see is Chris Middleton is someone who like really kind of gets to a spot and shoots up and like rises over and shoots over defenders and kind of can really get a shot off almost, it seems, against anyone with like these turnarounds. And I just don't know if we've seen that yet. I'd be off the dribble shot, like with a defender in front of him, not you know, from a blow-by. I'm still yet to see just because that low release point, I think, Maybe has Brandon Miller a little bit of a disadvantage, but I do, I do definitely see aspects in terms of like their role being that second, third best player on a title team, being being a, a fair one for for Brandon Miller. Um, this year, what do you think Brandon Miller's role is going to be with Charlotte? Honestly, this might be the toughest question to answer for like mm -hmm. any of the guys that we're going to talk about here. Which you wouldn't think that that's the case with the player they just drafted second overall, but it is. Uh, I mean, I. There's a world in which he starts like very soon after the season begins, like kind of like how LaMelo did, like by, I mean, I don't, the season months were not 
normal in that year because of the COVID cancellation. But if he's starting by what would have been like mid December ish, like I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. But well, also, we'll like, have the Gordon Hayward injury by then, right? So that's slip, true. He'll yeah, slip right that, in. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, someone will sprain their ankle, like inevitably, uh, but their left ankle specifically by that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, he could like he could start, but the, I mean, there is definitely a world in where he's a backup wing, like backup two, three, four, somewhere in that like seventh or eighth man range for most, if not all, of the season. If they don't make like any sort of move with the players yeah. they have now. And if they sign or acquire any sort of like veteran that's going to help the team, you know, that guy needs to play too. So Brandon Miller would probably be somebody that loses minutes if that happens, but we, that, we would have to see with the rest of the offseason for that, obviously. I think he starts here as a sick man. Um, yep. Probably playing that backup three, maybe some two. Um, if he's not starting by the end of the year, then... Uh, that either means that starting lineup is absolutely gelling and things are going great for the team and Clifford doesn't want to mix it up, or it means he's not as far as long as we hope. Um, it's one of those two things. If the team are struggling and Brandon Miller is still not starting by the end of the year, I, I do think there would be that, you know, there would be some little, few concerns around the team, around the fan base. And I think that that's fair, right? You, your number two pick should be competing for that starting job on a team like, on a team like Charlotte. Okay, Nick Smith Jr., uh, Hornets' 27th overall pick. Uh, what did you make of Nick Smith's summer league? He averaged uh, 14 points, four rebounds, three assists, just over half a block, just under half a steal, just three turnovers a game, um, had that big breakout game. I think it was like 33 points, I want to say. Um, I had yep. some great shot making down the, the stretch and some really kind of showed off his mid-range bag. Um, some some good opportunities for stretching the floor in that game as well. Um, but overall, you know, we can't just analyze that one game. Uh, overall, what did you make? I mean, I think Nick Smith is probably the the summer league darling of this roster. I don't think there's anybody that left like with an improved standing among Hornets fans. That they're over the Dennis Smith Junior going already. Hornets fans. Are. Oh they're yeah, like... <laughs> we got the, we got the new Smith Junior. We can just yeah, replace him with the other that. one. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I'm glad that you said. He got to show off his, his mid-range game because, as the kids would say, he was in his bag. Like, he has mm. so many counters as, like, a, a ball handler and finisher from the second level, and his touch is crazy. Like, he had that, you know, like, double cross into the spin and floater on the baseline that he hit oh, against yeah. Portland. Like, and that was a clutch shot. Like, that put them down by one in the final minute, and he, like, pieced him up and, like, hit the floater in the guy's face and it like every time he shoots one of those floaters, it drops right through the net and it makes like that very aesthetically pleasing sound and like motion with the net. Like, cause you know that he just puts the exact right amount of touch on it every time. Um, and th that's like something to build off of, like truly, like if he can extend his range a little bit, which I feel pretty confident in, cause he hit a couple of shots in that Portland game specifically off the catch from three that looked really nice. And he has a really quick and high release point. And he's already a bigger guard at like 6'5 with some length too. So he was a good on-ball scorer at the second level, showed a little bit off-ball. They gave him a lot of reps as like a ball handler, playmaker, and that didn't always go well. But I definitely think he has like some feel for the game and yeah. uh, the creativity there, there and flair Individual flashes, too. individual moments right. of playmaking 
you know, through some nice lob passes, through some nice no looks, but like the every single play connectivity and getting your team into sets, that's where he looked like way, 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 way behind an NBA lead guard right now. Um, but he, he showed some of the instincts and that's what you want to see. You want to see enough of those flashes that you go, okay, there's vision there, there's instinct. We now need to work with this guy to get him to understand and leverage that to a point that you can, you know, do the other things. And the things that he showed at times are the, some of the hardest things to teach, right? They're like things that almost just come mm -hmm. natural. And I think what Nick Smith, if he can improve at some of those basics, that which just come with like experience, NBA reps, watch him film. Like he didn't, he wasn't able to get to play as much last year. He didn't play, get to play any point guard really last year with Arkansas. That was like more uh, in high school. I think there's a real path there. And it, it really stood out his maturity. Like he even said in like one of the post games, he basically like, was like, I've got to be better as point guard. Like I've got to get mm -hmm. our team into sets. You know, he, he really took ownership. I like how he speaks. He seems probably like, I'd say the most mature of all of Charlotte's draft picks. Um, I'd say he he speaks more like a veteran, probably more mature than some of Charlotte's second and third year players, actually. So I think that really stood out to me. Just and I, I like that approach. He seems like a true pro, um, and that almost stood out to me as much as some of the on court stuff as well. Yeah, every and the Hornets staff, like social media crew and content crew, does a fantastic job with this. All of the posts that they put on in the internet and the real access series that they do. Like Nick's personality just seems like something that's going to fit into basically any team environment and somebody that coaches are going to like, teammates are going to like, like yeah. somebody that's easy to play with and be around from anybody in the organization. And he, on top of that, which is like a great thing to add to this team, like everybody said they wanted culture, like Nick Smith seems to have that in at least some capacity, if not as like a somebody that could be a team leader, but somebody that's going to play a role for the team going forward. And on the court, like he has the perfect foundation to be a combo guard, like for this team off the bench or maybe as a starter or something like that in the future. But yeah, he's he's definitely got a lot to work with here. And it's going to be interesting to watch his development over the next couple of years. And I can't remember which game it was or if it was on a podcast. I'm getting confused now. But uh, someone, it might have been Jamal Craft, but Crawford, who's on the uh, commentary for one of the games, Said he that. was fantastic, by the way. This is his he first like time doing TV. Yeah. I thought he was really good at TV. He'd be a good guy to get on the broadcast crew for Van Gundy. He would. But that was an um, aside. Yeah. I, I think someone told him that one of the things that stuck out most about this like Hornets Summer League team was how competitive Nick Smith was on the defensive end. Mm -hmm. I think it was Jamal who said that. Or was, it, I, I it think it was. I, I'm yeah. pretty sure it was in the Minnesota game that he did with uh, Stephanie Reddy. Because they yes. were both like, and it was so funny because that was the game. So funny. The Hornets averaged like 14 assists per game or whatever for summer yeah. league and then set the record for assists in a game <laughs> in their last season, which is just a classic wow. way to round it out. But they were all, they were say. like so impressed. Right. <laughs> yeah. the, probably either a lot or nothing. I don't think it's very far in between, but they were both like completely beside themselves. They were like, this team is so good. The ball moves like so crisp. They all like clearly want each other to score and succeed and like playing with each other. They play so hard. And yeah, they, they talked about Nick like, a couple of times because he had a, a pretty good game against Minnesota as well. Yeah. So Nick Smith Jr. Um, overall, I went a great, I went a straight B. Okay. They're, they're like, he showed some things. He showed some instincts, showed some NBA skills. 
but the all-round like connectivity are you helping your team i feel some of that stuff is lacking right now um i think he put in high effort on the defensive end like i talked about wasn't always high impact um so i went for a straight b for nick smith i went i went b plus i think the scoring flashes that he showed are just really really valuable for a team that apart from their like core players and the guys that are going to play a huge role, like really doesn't have like an explosive offensive player coming up in the pipeline. Like the role players on this team are like Cody Martin. Uh, I mean, I I guess Gordon Hayward now. So maybe he counts as that, you know, get, get you a bucket guy, but like Nick Richards, Mark Williams, whoever plays point guard other than Lamella, like right now, like none of these guys are like microwave guys that can get you a couple points in a couple minutes. Nick projects to be able to do that. And, I think there's a lot of value in having someone on your team that can do that. Like I was listening to Ben Taylor on the thinking basketball podcast the other day, he was talking about players that have like the ability to heat up and how that's like a legitimate skill. Like you'd think that that's kind of just lucky or whatever, but like if it's the same guy doing it over and over and over again, that's not lucky. Like he has the ability to just flip a switch and make one shot. And then it's like, all right, I'm in rhythm now. I'm ready. I I can do whatever I need to do. I could go score 20 in the next, 20 minutes I can dish out five assists whatever but like that takes like a special you know instinct to be able to flip that switch like that and it seems like Nick has it so that'll be well he's a good piece to have I, he was I very much considered him for for my mulligan and wanted to move him up pre, uh, pro or reactively on my draft board yeah speaking of guys who can flip the switch and get hot here's some of my comps and I'm quite I'm quite happy with some of these but I want you to pick which one you like most Cole Anthony of the Orlando Magic. Gary Trent Jr., but a smaller kind of combo guard rather than a wing version. And then Patty Mills, uh, obviously long time for the Spurs, went to Brooklyn and, and some of the spots. Which of those three names kind of jumps out to you? Hmm. I, Gary Trent Jr. is an interesting one because if he hits that defensive ceiling we were talking about with the mm-hmm. being like an effort guy that has like very real positional size and length. If he can just get a little stronger, I could very much see him being like a Gary Trent Jr. level two-way scorer and defender that can kind of defend those backcourt players and also absolutely torch them offensively if he if he needs to. Because yeah. I, I, he's got much better really positional like size than both like Patty Mills, Cole Anthony. Oh, yeah. Cole's probably more of a traditional point guard. Um, I think Patty's mm-hmm. probably like the most, like for the role he played in some league, look most similar. Uh, it's just a, a basic volume scorer. Um, but yeah, it, I, I think those are some of the names that stood out to me. Any any for you? Mine that I had written down was Large Lou Williams because, I mean, obviously he has like four or five inches of height on Lou Williams. He's a lofty goal. Lou was, Lou yeah. was, you know, everyone, for that type of player, Jamal Crawford yes. and Lou Williams were like the two that so many players who are combo guards who score a lot get comped to in the draft. So I tried to try and stay away from those like well, well walked roads. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree that I'm sure I'm not the first person to compare him to Lou Williams, but the ability to just kind of get any shot off and make it look like something that you're comfortable taking in like tight quarters in that second level where you very rarely have a lot of space to maneuver and create your own shot. It's very reminiscent of that. And he's also a pretty good passer, more of a combo guard than a point guard, but can still get some looks for his teammates. Uh, I mean, and if, if he pans out anything close to Lou Williams, that is a very successful 27th draft pick. 
And, and the recent history of 27th draft picks is actually pretty good. So maybe Nick will just be the next in a long line of, of late first rounders to hit for their team. If he can draw fouls like Lee Williams, watch out. Yeah. Um, what about what about his role this year? What do we think Nick Smith's role is going to be in Charlotte? I I kind of to have a go at this first. I think he will be between the Greens for Swarm and being like deep rotation. So let's say one of the someone from the guard unit is injured, then Nick would probably be in Charlotte if everyone was healthy, assuming they bring in another lead ball handler, which it seems like they're trying to to do. Um, then I think Nick would probably be getting some some playing town down in Greensboro. That's kind of what I see: deep rotation slash Greensboro swarm. Yeah, me too. I would wouldn't be surprised if he like when Greensboro doesn't have a game for a long time, or if they go on a long road trip, he comes with the Hornets and is just an end of the bench guy. Uh, but then when Greensboro has an extended home stretch or anything like that, where they know that he's just not going to be able to play in Charlotte unless there are injuries and terrible foul out scenarios and stuff like that. He's going to be the guy for Greensboro. He's going to be like the engine of that team. Most likely like playing, you know, getting these like point guard, shooting guard reps and testing. I don't know. Kobe Simmons looked really good in that game, Chase. Kobe Simmons might have something to say about that. (laughs) Hey, that's that guy's on a a guaranteed deal for the Hornets uh, next season come like September or something like that. So maybe, maybe Kobe is just going to be that backup point guard that, we're all searching for right now because I mean he also game. played played pretty well. I mean he had yeah. like what eight assists in that last game against the Timberwolves. Yeah, uh, and yeah, it's just set very, the tone with everything he did. Like yeah, yeah, he was he was great. Yeah, I, I think fans getting a little bit carried away with Nick Smith um, <laughs> on the on the old Twitterverse. Yeah, I I saw people talking about him like Screw, we don't need Dennis Smith anymore. We don't need you know another point guard. We've got Nick Smith. I, <laughs> I, I like what I saw. I'm more hopeful than I was pre you know put after the draft but i think we need to pump the brakes a little bit he is still very much like he has clear skills but he's clear holes too okay let's go let's go sophomores um james booknight chase what did you make of james booknight's second summer league in his third year well i don't think that i came away as down as many people did so I think that that's okay. a start. Um, I think he showed a lot of the things he was good at in the G League last year with like just the off ball shooting and stuff and movement and catch and shoot stuff. He clearly still has that range and the willingness to shoot from that far or from deep up beyond the, the line. It's just that the things that he was good at at UConn are not strengths in his game anymore, which is part of me just is like saddened by that in a way. Like, I don't know why, like genuinely, like he doesn't look as athletic flat out to me. Like I, he was a super explosive cutter and like legitimate, like backcourt lob threat when he was at UConn, you would never see that anymore. There was a lob. Nick Smith. I, I literally have this burned into my brain. Nick Smith threw a lob to him. I don't remember what team they're playing, but it was in Cox. So I think it was Minnesota. Um, and he threw a, threw a lob up to him, and James Booknight couldn't dunk it. Like, he had to lay it in, and yeah, I think I he got – no, he got called for a goaltend. So he basically just got lucky that the guy tried to block it and swiped it off the rim. And you could – like, he was visibly frustrated. Like, you could tell that he was like, shit, like, I should have dunked that. Like, why did I not dunk that? And Nick Smith 
and this supports the points we've made earlier, ran over to him and grabbed his hand by the wrist and high-fived it like, like this, like, come <laughs> like, like be like, no, don't worry. Like, it's fine. Yeah. Like we got the points. You're good. Like, don't, don't like get down on yourself about it. But like, I don't like, I don't know why, like that, like, why would he not be as athletic? Like what would have like happened? No, like, he's I not had like one the... single lower body injury. He's, he's, right. he's broken he, his like the uh, confidence wrist. in his game has just changed. Right. He yeah. broke He broke his wrist and like, I think he like hurt his ankle or something once in the G league, but like, that's not a long-term yeah. injury. Like it's, it's like legitimately perplexing. Like I have no idea like what the explanation for it would be. Like, it's not like he hasn't played. Like we said, he's played in Greensboro. He's gotten multiple shots at the rotation in Charlotte. Like, I just don't know. It's just a much different player than what we saw as a sophomore at UConn. And even like early on with the Hornets. I mean, they completely changed his role from his first summer league. Um, in that yeah. first summer league, they gave him the keys. He averaged 4.7 assists to 4.4 turnovers per game. He was, you know, taking all sorts of shots. And then this this year, and this is what we saw in Greensboro as well, I think the coaching staff have basically said to him, look, if you want to be like this on-ball scoring threat, you're not going to make it in this league. The way you have a chance is if you defend well enough and you shoot well enough and you dribble drive, you've got a chance to be a role player and you could stick. And credit to the guy. He is bought in to that idea of a, of a player. Um, unfortunately, if you're going to be like a, you're going to try and be a three and D guy. One, I just don't think he has the defensive tools or awareness or instincts to, to be effective on the defensively. And from the three point range, he shot 28% from three, 38% from the field. Like you have to be efficient if you're going to be one of those low, lower usage guys. And he said after one of the games that he's not even really worried about his offense is scoring while he's here. He's just trying to like do the right things on defense and do the little things and create and pass. But he averaged 1.2 assists this year. 1.2 assists, 1.2 turnovers. I mean, I, I think some of his passing was better than that, but the decision-making driving to the rim was still inconsistent. I think I clipped like four different times. Two times he made these great kick-out passes to the corners, made open threes. Twice he took out these, we've seen it so many times now, these like, you go at the rim, he's like fading away, trying to like do like a push shot. And the it's just such a high tower of difficulty on that shot. Um, and he just so can't seem to finish through people, can't seem to blow by people. Um, always seems to be finishing over contact. Um, it was it was pretty concerning. Uh, and the guy, like, like I said, I think he's trying to focus on the right things. I don't think he doesn't care. I don't think he's trying to freelance out there. Like he's he's in the gym like every single day at like seven. He was or in the gym with the first day back coaches. from Las Vegas. Yeah, first yeah. day back from Las Vegas. He was back in the Short Hornets facility working out again. I, yeah. I don't think this is a lack of effort from James Butknight's part. I'm not questioning that. It's just the on court product going into your third year. Irrelevant of him being a lottery pick, being picked anywhere going into your third year, you'd be worried with what you saw from James Butknight. Um, I don't know. I don't know, Chase. I think it's a a real uphill battle. And I can understand fans saying that Nick Smith Jr., like in their heads, is ahead of James Bucknight in that like backup shooting guard spot, deep rotation spot. From what I've seen, I think it depends what you need from, from the roster, but I could see a world where that could be the case as soon as this year, which this this was the summer league that I just hoped that he would come in 
and really dominate. And he just did not have anything like the impact that I was hoping for. Um, and I think it's fair for fans to be pretty worried. Yeah, I complete. I was looking for him, like hoping he would go out there and just like kill it. One of these two first couple games, probably not play after that. But I think it was telling his state on the roster that he was the last non-rookie that's not Brandon Miller to get shut down for yeah. the summer league. And I mean, it's it's not even like well, is his fault, but it's just it's just kind of the reality of the the situation right now. And yeah, I I agree that it's it's definitely fair for people to wonder what's going to happen here going forward. Yeah, I mean, in terms of comps, I mean, we've seen enough of James Buck now. We probably don't even need to do comps. But honestly, I can't give you a good NBA player who is a comp for uh, James yeah. Buck Knight. The comps I've got yeah, are, are Josh one. Christopher and Blake Wesley. Like Josh Christopher, another guy who's like a high-volume, inefficient, turnover-prone, foul-prone guy who basically just got traded away for nothing by Houston this offseason. Um there, there is nobody that you can point to with the the kind of skill set of James Knight playing in the NBA right now. So Chase, let's wrap this up here. What do we think James Knight's grade is? What did you give him? See, I tried not to be too harsh here. I just went C minus. I feel like D implies that it was your it was your fault in some way, like that you weren't like trying hard enough or anything. Uh, but I don't think that was the case at all. Like, I just think that. At this point, like it's just hard for James Booknight to play well with the Hornets, with the role changes that he has had, the you know stalled development that he is that has seems to have had as a player right now, and the inability to show like new facets to his game on the court, both in summer league and in the regular season. Um, I think it's just it's just tough going forward to have a really rosy view of him at all, but. Like, like we've said, he's, it's not for a lack of effort on his part. Like, he works on his game. He tries new things. He buys into what the coaching staff asks him to do. It well, just to an extent, I know I said that to an extent. There are some. I, I, I see. I do. He, he plays early like shot all, clock attempts. Oh, like, yeah. Some real that's, I think a lot of that's just defensive. League, I don't know. We've seen it in the NBA. We saw it in Greensboro. Um, he, he does try at times, but then it's like he's having this internal fight with himself, right? That. The, his natural instinct is I've hit two threes this quarter. I'm going to pull up here with 18 seconds on the shot clock. But then other times he remembers, no, do what the coaching staff are telling me to do. And yeah, it just looks like he has that internal struggle with. Uh, so far, I've been one grade lower than you on every single player by, <laughs> by like one uh, demarcation. So let's see if that, that continues. Let's go with uh, another sophomore here. Kai Jones, who... Um, you know, was able to basically play a more of a starting role this year with no Nick Richards at Summer League. Um, what did you make of Kai's Summer League? Yeah, see, this is the one where I was like more <laughs> thoroughly, uh, I left with wanting more, maybe more thoroughly disappointed. Um, the improvements in Kai's game have really not taken me by you know that i really have not enjoyed what i've seen over the last like couple years in terms of develop player development like he basically is the exact same player that he was that the hornets drafted i think and like he has some value as like a really big athletic guy that can make like highlight blocks at the rim and will deter some guys from going up at the rim uh, but his offensive game is purely dunking 
like putting the ball on the floor or shooting like he he missed open threes and they really missed like they, they weren't you know rattling out uh, and he was obviously being left open as well uh he's just not really like a rim protector he's not like a floor spacer he's not really a reliable play finisher even because he ha doesn't have great hands uh I, like and i think that all of that showed itself in the first couple of summer league games before he got shut down like he makes a couple of highlight plays every game but then there are equal if not more like low lights that cost the team more points because he doesn't shoot or score at a high level so everything he does is just two point dunk you know one one for two free throws and it's just not easy to impact the game with that skill set in today's nba unfortunately and he has every tool to like develop further but it just hasn't happened yet and it's another guy that is like at this point with the Hornets, it's like, where do you go forward? Because he also, in the same way that James Booknight does, doesn't really have a path to like actual minutes, but is too old to just be testing these tools in Greensboro with the, the thoughts of you being like a young player that's going to break into the rotation. Like in your third season, yeah. you've you got to be putting it together a little bit. And well, you just got to show yet. progress. That's the key thing, right? right? No one's yeah. saying that he should be a NBA rotation level player right now. Exactly. I yeah. think that's you like just confirmed, gotta do something. You you need to have seen where that progress has come. And like you say, yeah. I, it's weird, right? I and mean, we talked about this before. The selling point with Kai was an Uber athlete, a great switch defender, um, coming out of college, like had some shooting potential, could do some stuff with the ball, like get to a shot, get to like mid-range pull-up, which is really interesting. From day one of drafting him, they basically told him to stop doing all the funky stuff and just focus on big man things. There's part of me where I'm like, you're asking someone to like lean into just playing a role, which isn't what made them an interesting prospect in the first place. Exactly. And you're, you're just exactly. pigeonholing them into trying to play like Nick Richards when he doesn't have the physical strength, you know, quite the length or the size of those players. But then there's part of me which is like, well, if they had any belief whatsoever that Kai could like put it together to be a bit more of an on-ball skeptic, scoring threat to, to shoot from the outside then surely they would have lent into that so they must felt they must feel that he is so far off that it's not even worth exploring and I, I guess that's why they're like a little bit of James Book Knight is like look let's just try and simplify the game for you to do let's walk before you can run um, but the problem is he's just not great at those like traditional big man things Um I agree. I was pretty concerned with what I saw from Kai in some league. Um, you know, the rebounding specifically. I mean, he had his worst rebounding summer league compared to Per 36, who's at 9.1. He averaged 12 rebounds his first year, 11 and a half rebounds per 36 in his second year. Um, his fouls jumped to 6.8 fouls per game this summer league. They were up at three and three and a half in his first two. Um you know, he was taking more higher percentage shots. His field goal percentage took a big jump, 69% this summer league, as opposed to being in like the low 40s. So he definitely kind of bought into that, like, I'm not going to, like, remember last summer league, he was taking, what was it, 10 threes he took in his first game? Yeah, he, yeah, he went 0 for 10 in that game. Yeah, and that's their experience of like him trying to experiment. And I think they saw that and went never again. Um, but <laughs> yeah, we, we just haven't seen that. I, I do think... It doesn't do him well that he always plays this drop system when I think his 
biggest yeah. asset is his defensive switchability because he does have active hands, he gets low, and they just never play him in that. And I wish they mixed up the system a little bit when Kai was in the game and let him switch onto some of the guards because that's when I think he's at his most impactful defensively. Yeah, and I, com- I completely agree. I had that thought as well. Like the way that like you draft him with this vision in your mind of like, like you said, he's either someone that can have this on ball and like do weird stuff, utility, like on both sides of the floor, or he's a role player. But when you put him in like to be this role player, they have him playing like the four in summer league at times for the first couple of years. And like, that's obviously not the like stretch four is not the role that they envisioned for him. It was probably as like a rim protecting, you know, rim running big. That is an extreme lob threat and can, get like block shots and rebound and stuff like that so then why this year is that not like the focus but like like you said there he's just like a normal like drop coverage big like what like mark williams would be or something like that yeah but like that's not what he would be he would be the backup center that comes in to give you like a different look or a different matchup or something it's like there it i don't it's the management of his role has been very peculiar to me. Like the entire time, like we've always, we've always talked about like, it's weird that like he goes to the G league and is there five and is allowed to like shoot threes a little bit, but then he comes up with the Hornets and is not allowed to do any of those things and has to play next to next to Nick Richards. A lot of the time now he didn't have to play next to Nick Richards, but wasn't doing any of the things that he does when he gets to play. It's just, it gets to play in the G league. It's just really, like confusing development trajectory and it's it clearly has done him no favors like he has not gotten any better and like it's not like it's entirely kai's fault like he just goes home at the end of the day and is like oh i don't care about basketball i don't want to get better like he obviously does and he works very hard it seems but again like with book night it just hasn't worked out for a plethora of reasons and and the truth is some players work hard and it just never clicks yeah that could be the case it's nothing yeah, it's nothing that they did wrong. Um, you know, they the put NBA is really hard and, to be good at, and yeah, especially for they, a they center, there are the only so many good centers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of role for the coming season, probably similar to Buckner, like deep, deep rotation, only going to play if someone is injured. That is, if you know, both have both have player uh, team options for the next year of their contracts at. What what percentage would you put it at that both team options get picked up for next for the year after this one? Because it's they're already confirmed for this season, but for the year after, um, yeah. If I were to give you odds, what percentage do you think uh, that they both get picked up before October? Both of them, probably like ten percent. It would be it wow. would be very very low because the the yeah. salary slots that they would take up are yeah. like actually valuable. Like Book Night makes. I think four point seven million dollars this year, and Kai is in the high like two point million, two point eight yeah. or nine million or something like that. Those are like actual numbers that you could fill with, you know, a minimum signing or a biennial exception level player or something like that. Like, eventually, like you can't like the, the team wants to make the playoffs. That's what they've said repeatedly. You can't draft three players a year and keep all of them forever and make the playoffs. Like it just doesn't work like that. Eventually, you have to acquire veteran players and move off of some of these young guys because you can't pay them all or you don't have enough minutes to give them all and they're not going to develop and then they're not going to be able to have you don't have like role players coming off the bench you just have your core players like the hornets do and then you have a bunch of guys that have not met expectations and are not ready to contribute on an nba floor but also have 
lost their trade value and you don't really know what you have in them because you just haven't been able to find out. And that is yeah. kind of the spot they find the Hornets find themselves in with, with Kai and, and Book Knight right now. But some of the highlights were sick. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that's, totally that's, agree. That's, like that's the dunk he had on Wemby was oh, sick. That alley-oop Yeah, the alley-oop he caught from, I think it was Nick Smith also on like a pick and roll, like the one-handed one. He caught it and like swung on the rim. And like stared down Ibu Baji afterwards. That one was sick. Like I, I can't. I'm not not. He's a highlight machine. At all. Oh yeah, they're, they're he's awesome. a highlight machine. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. He's absolutely. a lot of fun to watch. Um, I still think he should be in a dunk contest. But watching him play team defense and playing pick and roll defense is. I've literally had nightmares since watching <laughs> the summer league. So uh, let's get to grades. Um, I I went for a. I just went for a. A D plus. I put him pretty similar with James Book Knight. Book Knight kind of pushed himself up with his last performance to 28 points. Kai Jones got a little bit better too towards the end. I went D plus. What did you go for? I think we're even on Kai. I went with D plus as well. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, um, next up, let's go Amari Bailey, uh, Hornets second round pick. Um, overall, I think Amari was like an interesting guy because he came off the bench, played shooting guard. I think many people were probably expecting him, myself included, to maybe get some more lead ball handler reps, especially with that second unit. I think with the struggles this Hornets offense had, they thought let's let's try and go with the veteran Justin Robinson here because we we don't want to give it to a rookie considering all the the trouble we're having getting offense here. Um, he he showed some really creative finishes, like attacking the rim, managing to get to the paint and draw fouls, get rim attempts, um, you know, finishing. Like, not. I don't even know how to describe. I think he's got a really funky game, like really smooth. He's not bursty, but he does have some like kind of like hang when he attacks the rim and real touch and feel finishing around and through contact at the rim. Um, the mid-range game looked really tough, I thought, for someone who kind of excelled in the mid-range at UCLA and at the draft combine, that looked good. That looked way off. Uh, I think he shot 37% from three across the time on super, super, super low volume. And some of the misses were were pretty far away. I think that's probably being very kind to him of one last, one last good game. But his best game was right at the end when he was able to have, handle the ball a little bit more, a little bit. Had some... Nice pass at the time. I think he had four assists to 16 turnovers, I want to say, which is a bit of a tough look. Um, but overall, for like a 41st pick, who's super young, again, like just like Nick Smith Jr., he had enough flashes and moments where you go, whoa, that's different. You don't see that in the NBA much. And those flashes of talent are probably what the Hornets team saw too and thought, let's get this guy in the system. Let's try and harness some of that talent. And like we said, Nick Smith, building some of the the every play stuff, work on the shot a little bit, and let's see what's there. Yeah, I think that going forward, he probably has the greatest potential 
to fill in that like Dennis Smith Jr. type role, like two way playmaker, good passer on offense, maybe not the best floor spacer, but somebody that can score at the rim and then defensively like very active hands on the perimeter and at the point of attack. He's definitely not afraid of contact at all, no. which I think is a really like cool thing about him. Like for somebody that came up as like a ball handler, like passer, scorer, he is very physical, like especially de- defensively it, like and even like fighting for rebounds and stuff. Like he is definitely somebody that looks to put a body on somebody when shots go up, I think, which is not, you know, not, not that anybody is really doing that with, overall frequency in the NBA, but he clearly like was making a point to do that uh, in summer league, which I thought was, you know, it's at least bodes well going forward for the type of player he's going to be defensively. I I thought that he really struggled to score in the half court, even at the rim and stuff where he was a pretty good finisher when he can get a step on somebody or when the defense is in a scramble. Um, But if everything is set, he has quite a long way to go, I think. Uh, just in really any regard, like ball handling, passing, scoring. And that that was something I his ball handling is like not quite where you'd probably want it from somebody who'd be a point guard, which maybe that's why he wasn't, you know, playing point guard in summer league was because like you said, and at UCLA, like that's it's right. been a common theme here. He played shooting guard next to Tiger Campbell. He played shooting guard in Holland Summer League. I know he was a point guard in high school. I don't think that's probably on the cards anytime in like the next one or two years. Like, he's got a lot to prove there, I think, before he's going to be a point guard. I think, like I said, the minute he's this weird kind of, he's almost a shooting guard who doesn't really shoot. <laughs> yeah, that's he's pretty much like, exactly what he is right now. Yeah. yeah. Which is and, always I like mean, a they, and they got him fit. on a two-way. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a very clunky fit. But, I mean, signing him to a two-way, which we weren't sure that he was going to get one. 41 is basically the start of two-way range. But there hadn't really been, like, any reports are leaning that the Hornets are he were leaning one way or another for a two-way or guaranteed deal but he will be splitting his time between Charlotte and Greensboro this year um so I mean I imagine when he's with Greensboro he's going to get to you know test those waters a little bit more as a a point guard so I hope so um my my comps for him uh like I would assume I think it's probably like a guy like guy who likes to get to the rim a lot uh, shoots well from the corners from three, but isn't probably like a, a great shooter, but like a larger combo guard. You probably don't want him handling the ball full time. Um, and I couldn't get this name out of my head from the first minute I saw him. And he's never going to be this level player. There's just something a little bit Jalen Brunson-y about him. Like the, the way that he likes to play with physicality and the fact that he's a lefty. I think he likes to get to that mid-range fadeaway, which looked bad, but like, there was just something like Jalen Brunson was like a weird fitting. Is he a point guard? Is he not kind of coming out? And I think Amari Bailey's got some of that too. Um, But there's just like some, some streaks in there. Yeah. He's got that same, like, like willingness and dedication to like carving out space rather than finding it. Thick and and strong. Like like both of them, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely, I mean, you're way high end outcome, but I mean, he's got some shades of it for sure. That'd be a a good uh, KFC. Any any comps from your end? No, um, I liked Delon Wright, but the more I think about it, like I think Delon Wright, I mean, maybe I maybe that's a reasonable outcome for him because yeah. Delon Wright's like a career backup essentially, but maybe like he's a little bit better of a defender than Amari might be at his peak. But maybe Aaron Holiday is probably like the next step down from someone like that. 
we've heard we heard plenty about him for like what two hours i think that the hornets were connected to him before yep he signed with the with the rockets which would have been a reasonable signing for a backup point guard but maybe they think that they have something similar i i chase like, i i did an article on, on aaron holiday within the two hours and i have to oh, say <laughs> I, I really talked myself into him i was like this this I was like, actually, this guy looks pretty interesting. I was looking at some of the advanced numbers and like literally within half an hour of me posting it, it's like, and he's gone. <laughs> yeah, and it, it was so funny too because it was like the Charlotte Hornets and, and Houston Rockets are interested <laughs> in Aaron Holiday. And then it was like, Aaron Holiday has signed with the Houston Rockets. Okay, so it's like, all right, well, now we know who Aaron Holiday had interest in. Uh, and it was not <laughs> the Charlotte Hornets. But I mean, I think Amari is pretty similar. Like Aaron Holiday maybe is like a better off ball like spot up shooter than i think amari is especially yeah. at this point but similar like size defense passing just reliable skilled backup point guard that can do a little bit of everything but yeah. doesn't do anything extremely well what is your overall grade for mari bailey i gave mari bailey a b minus i mean i wasn't the highest on him going in so that maybe informs that a little bit but i mean i guess he did he didn't do anything to like make me lower on him uh, I thought everything that I liked about him at, at UCLA kind of showed itself a little bit in summer league. Um, yeah, a, a B minus I think is pretty fair for him. I would kind of want, wanted him to play a little bit more, which he didn't really get to do, which obviously that's not his decision. Yeah. But I, I like that his best game was that game, the last game, I think against Timberwolves, where he was able to play more yeah. minutes and he basically started in that game, didn't he? And I thought, you know, that was by far his most comfortable game. And remember, he's someone who grew up having the ball in his hands um like used to being featured and he was like really kind of like the a sideshow to what what it's had going on but yeah i i went for b minus also we're in lockstep here with uh with kai and amari bailey's grades um again he just showed enough moments where he did things that like not all nba players do that just showed that there is something there some some talent uh which that's what you want to see in summer league you're never going to get like consistency from 18 year olds who've just moved to the city on summer league rosters but you want it, what you want to see are flashes. And then the next year, you want to see those flashes become a little bit more consistent and progress made. Um, so it'll be an interesting one to, to watch this year. I think you, you agree with me. He'll be a, a season-long Greens for Swarm contributor pretty much on his duet. Yeah, I'd be surprised if he gets the Bryce McGowan's treatment that oh, I, I, the two-way gets converted mid, midway through the season. I don't know if that's really yeah. in the cards for any of the anybody that signs a two-way this year. Yeah. Okay. Last rookie. Um, James Nagy. Uh, I enjoyed watching James Nagy play so much. Um, I like going from watching Kai Jones start the game to then like James Nagy come in and watch like how he just defended the rim, the paint, his team defense. Which there, I, I've talked about this before. There was just so many reasons James Nagy should be behind Kai Jones, and he was just like several steps ahead. I thought on the defensive end. Um, I thought everything considered, he played really well. Um, we knew who's going to be raw, like playmaking, scoring, free throws, all that was true, right? And but he did exactly what we thought. He rebounded at high level. He blocked shots. I think I did some numbers. I think he blocked shots at the highest, at the fourth highest rate at all of summer league. I want to say um, ahead of likes of Chet Holmgren, he had a higher block rate than Chet Holmgren in minutes played. So I mean, we're talking about a potential elite. Um, shot blocker here, 18 years old, probably one of the youngest guys in all of Summer League. I was really impressed with James Nagy. He had every reason to look completely off the pace and out of his depth. And I thought he looked like a perfectly respectable 
big, which is great considering his age, his inexperience. Um, yeah, I, I liked it. All right, I think this might be the guy that you come away a little bit higher on than me. So we'll we'll change okay. the tune here for for the episode. I he's obviously a very good defender. I think a lot of that why and why he looks so good in summer league specifically. He's been playing for one of if not the best Euroleague basketball teams like in the entire league. Obviously, they take defense very seriously no matter whether you're a young prospect that's up and coming or somebody that's like you know, signed there to play and be their starting center. He was their backup last year. He was the backup center for the Hornets here too. I think that in the summer league environment, in his, you know, like psyche, like he's kind of playing the same amount of minutes in the same role, like coming off the bench and just being like that defensive minded guy. He was very good at it. His athleticism is very real. His use of like length, kind of confuses me like he he doesn't it seems like he doesn't fully like outstretch his arms in like a drop coverage which is kind of the appeal of someone that's as big and athletic as him because he cuts off those passing angles just by being large and just being himself and standing there which like he's very technically sound and is always in the right spot and like isn't gonna you know make like stupid fouls or something or like just be out of place but it, it, it's just not – it doesn't it didn't pop for me, I guess, in the way that, that I thought it would or maybe expected it to, which that could be, you know, due to my own expectations. But I don't know. It, and offensively, very, very raw. Like multiple oh, yes. years from contributing in an NBA level as an offensive player, which it's increasingly difficult to get on the floor, even as a big man. If that is the case, so you have to be exceptional defensively if you yes, are essentially an, an exactly. offensive zero. Like, yeah, you're thinking about DeAndre Jordan, like, with going back a few years now, like, he's the height of you can't do anything but dunk. DeAndre Jordan is like the pinnacle, but he was an all defensive caliber player right. and, and came along at the right time, played with Chris Paul. Like, yep, yeah, James. I don't think James Najee is going to be lucky in that way, which I mean that might not matter. Like he could ultimately develop his touch a little bit. And then, you know, he can finish those putbacks. Like the one thing that I noticed with him offensively as well, which is, I think this is another thing that's going to kill him. His touch is not great, but getting two spots and like using those like really like hard pound dribbles and like getting the ball, the your back to the basket, taking like two pound dribbles and flipping the ball over your shoulder his handle is really, really rough in those situations. Yeah. Like he loses the he ball. He doesn't really bounce the ball much. No, as, he's a, like, as a basketball player, <laughs> like like any like I mean like I'm not like I had him in like the 40s on my draft board, so I wasn't super high on him anyway. But and I'm not even down on him as a player. But he like literally cannot put the ball on the floor, and I like in any way right now. Like he can't dribble in the low post. He can't do like a pound dribble and go up and finish over somebody without like having a lane to dunk. It's just so far away in that regard. And like but the defense is really good, but it just has to, to come him. a long way. At least he knows that, right? Absolutely. Uh, yes. He, he's someone he screens for someone. And he doesn't then kind of like slip and then ask for the ball at the free throw hard line. Hard screens. Yes. Very hard fridge yeah. screens. That's what I'm calling it. <laughs> yes. um, he doesn't then stand at the ball at the free throw line like, oh, give me the ball. As soon as he screens for someone, he'll be like running to off to like set screen for someone else or to like set another screen and change the angle. 
at least he plays in a way where he knows he's never going to ever have the ball unless it's an offensive rebound or a dunk at the rim. And we have seen track records of guys like that succeed before. So like for my for my comparisons, I looked at, and I, I agree with you on the offense. I, I don't have much hope for that ever really improving that much. If you pick up the sport as late as he did, he picked up at like 16. It's hard to like really develop offensive skill and touch and craft at the NBA level when you just pick up the sport so much. But for me, what I see his path going forward is just to excel on the defensive end, which I think he could do. So for like the Clint Capella, for me, is like the ultimate upside. Like can't hit free throws. Clint Capella struggles to finish around the rim, but he defends, he communicates at such a high level, he rebounds, that he's an impactful player. Um, A couple of other names, I'd like Daniel Gafford is another one with the Wizards. If you had like Bam Adebayo, but if he didn't shoot at all and had no playmaking skills, but if you just look at Bam Adebayo on defense, like his ability to guard, switch onto people to protect the rim, um, like those are kind of like some of my my comps there. I mean, people have A, probably heard this before, and B, they're going to hate this, but he is like young Bismack Biombo to a T. Like, very very similar player I th- not as I thought about he's, it. he's much more technically sound defensively than biz was as yes, a teenager exactly. like way way far ahead but the physical tools and just the like years of development that it's going to take offensively before he can contribute like as a two-way player and make an impact like truly on a winning team i think is very similar to what biz was like in the early 2010s with the bobcats yeah, and you know, coming from coming from overseas as well, like not really exposed to the NBA environment or prior to coming here, that type of thing too. That is another layer that reminded me of Bismack. I don't know if this matters, but I like James Maggi's left hook more than Bismack's. <laughs> if hey, we want to get I, really it, down it, into the weeds, yeah, <laughs> it, it matters. That that can we can be certain of that that it will matter. But yeah, I mean, um, and hey, Bismack Biombo is not a bad person to have people remind you of. We definitely. Nope. Got a little stale at the end when he was starting his last season when no one really expected him to. But he is like a very, very quality NBA player and had a nice run. And it was where he was drafted. So. Like Brandon, right. like because because Bismack was drafted, whatever it was, eighth overall, top ten pick. Like everyone's you have an expectation with him. James Nash is taking the second round. If he right. was to have the career that Bismack's had, that would be a successful NBA career. Um but I I think you're right. I think there is I would actually argue, I mean, this sounds like so wrong now thinking that James Najee was taken so much further back, but we're in a different time that I do think James Najee looked more comfortable being on the court, like just catching basketballs, which is something Bismarck Burnbo really struggled with. Um, I-, I think James Najee has a level of comfort on the court and a higher basketball IQ than Bismarck Burnbo, probably at the same age. Um, I think, I think I'd say James Najee's a better rookie prospect than Bismarck Burnbo. Uh, and I think that's because Bombo was heavily overranked at the time. Maybe mm. that's recency bias playing on me there, but yeah. I, I don't know what I can point uh, yeah. to. Maybe a bit like Bismarck was probably a better shot blocker than Naji maybe was, but yeah, I even I think, like and Najee's at the time being defendable. shorter. Yeah, that's that's true. Man, the times have really changed. <laughs> that, it is. That makes it's, it tough. like if I can't if point Biz to anything today, that Bismarck, Yeah, right. Like if Biz came out today, he would not get drafted. Like no. No chance, I don't think. But James Najee has the extra height. He does have much better hands. Like, he has a wide, very wide, like, catch radius. You can see, like, 
He has like that wingspan measurement that he had was insane. His hands are really big and he, he does actually catch like most of the balls that get thrown to him, which is definitely a start. But yeah, I don't know. I'm, I maybe you'd have to give biz the edge just cause that time period. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely close. It's like, it's worth the worth considering for, for Charlotte fans that, you know, vividly remember when biz came up too, like, like many of us do and now can compare that to I, what James Nashi is going to be like. I always remember those rookie year games against Dwight Howard when he actually like played him okay. And the excitement <laughs> the Hornets had being like, he defended Dwight Howard. This is, this is happening folks. Um, grade for James Nashi. Let's get this done quick. Cause we are, like we said, we're running along with this episode. Uh, I went B. What did you go with? C. C's get degrees, though. So that's all right. So our biggest disagreement on James Nashi. That's okay. Yeah. It's an interesting one to look. It, ha- it had to happen uh, at yep. one point it's, or another. Absolutely. Um, it's rumored that he's going to be signing back over with Barcelona this year. Um, mm-hmm. They've also signed Billy Hernan Gomez to be the yes. staff center. So he is now going to be blocked behind the former Hornets big. Uh, but they're in so many competitions, Barcelona. Um, that there's you know there's a lot of potential there that he'll be able to maybe even get some starts and some of the lower level competitions and and get consistent minutes. So, um, but that's that's not confirmed yet. It's not hundred percent confirmed, but is highly likely for, according to reports. Uh, last one. Let's let's touch on quickly Bryce McGowan's. Um, I came away a little bit disappointed with Bryce McGowan's. Um, I thought like you look at the numbers, he basically just this, the same player. As last year, but shot the ball a lot worse from three. Um, and I, I thought he showed a lot more in Greensboro in his NBA minutes towards the end of last year. And this, like, to be honest, this was a bit of a step back from what I saw towards the end of last season. So I have to say, I was a bit disappointed. I, I don't think it was a good situation for him because, like they say, I think he's definitely a guy who suffered from the offensive struggles the team had as a whole. And he finally got it going in one of the games at the end there. But I think he was also part of that problem as well and can't be stripped of responsibility as a, as a second-year player. So, yeah, it, it wasn't the the sophomore showing of, oh, yeah, Bryce McGowan's is coming for that rotation spot. It was like, a, yeah, he's still got some work to do. Well, thank you for saving this for the end of the podcast because it really hurts to have to say bad things about Bryce McGowan's as the captain of the Bryce McGowan's train and the prime resident of Bryce McGowan's Island. But yeah, I mean, mm. he was, this is probably the worst, you know, section of Bryce McGowan's career, like G league, NBA first summer league, second summer league, any area yeah. that he has played. Sure, this actually. is probably the worst that we've seen of him. I think like his limited NBA minutes were largely pretty good. Like he obviously had ups and downs as a second round rookie that was still, you know, 19 years old, but, I mean, this was a much different environment, I guess. Like, he could have. And I guess it, it is fair because he's probably the least, you know, his game probably leans the furthest away from being a combo guard or point guard than, like, him or Nick Smith or James Booknight even. So I guess it's fair that he didn't make up for that by being able to be a playmaker for others. But, yeah, the shot wasn't there. Uh, the creation, like, it looked similar to what it did last summer. And in the NBA and in the G League and stuff, but the the finishing and he, he hasn't really added a ton as a ball handler, which is what I was really looking for from him and like something that's going to take him to the next level. 
because he was really good at it in Nebraska, but he ha- still had like another level to reach, I think, in the NBA. It hasn't gotten much closer to that, I don't think, uh, as of now. But And that, I think, is, hinders him quite a bit in terms of his ability to get to open spots and stuff like that, which was probably harder in this summer league now that you know teams know who he is as a player. And, I mean, there were a ton of good players in this summer league anyway, like more than usual, I feel like. So... I don't know. There are a lot of factors at play, but I too was disappointed with the overall yeah. result. I will say I'm not that worried about Grass McGowns. Like no, despite this, despite his disappointing display and what you'd love to see him is to take up a level. I think we saw enough last year, uh, which I put a lot more stock into that in like an NBA situation in a better team environment that you can look at and go, yeah, Bryce is going to be just fine. Um, so I think he'll probably be a dis- bit disappointed, but. I would not be shocked at all if he came out in preseason, looked great, and we were all like, oh, here we go. Like, this is Bryce McGowan's time. Where was this guy in Vegas? Um, so, yeah, not that worried. Uh, but for Summer League specifically, I kind of gave him a, a a grade of like a C. I thought it was just like a, a straight C. Um, and I think it'll be on the fringe of the rotation. Again, if there's a Cody Martin injury, um, or someone else on the wing, he might be able to get some some minutes here. I thought it was interesting he played the three more. Um, I thought he looked a little bit stronger, maybe, like driving to the rim. I thought he looked yeah, a little bit definitely. thicker. Um, and I think that's good to see, but then other parts of his game maybe didn't seem strong. But I went straight C. What did you go for, Bryce? I gave him a C plus, so a little bit higher again. But, I mean, going forward anyway, I don't think that he's going to be put in – as difficult a spot to create for himself or others as he was here. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily a coincidence that this was probably the worst stretch of his career. Like when he was playing with, in the NBA with the Hornets, you know, he had Dennis Smith Jr. At times, Lamelo. He played great. Right, he, yeah. he destroyed the G League. Destroyed yeah, it. He, he, yeah, he was, he was a good shooter at all of those, or both of those levels very pretty consistently too. So I think, I mean, the, the sample size is there that you can at least brush this off and be like, this was probably just a bad, bad week in Vegas, which plenty of people have had that are, you know, projected to be much better players or were drafted much higher than Bryce McGowan's. So not time to worry yet. Yeah. Um, and that wraps it for our NBA summer league grades. Um, like I say, pretty, pretty vanilla. It's hard to, it's hard to really pull a lot of positives out of in terms of low, no A's. I don't yeah, know I was going to say we did not get a, anything. A B plus. A, to be, Brandon, I didn't Miller's, give a B plus. Brandon Miller's B was the was the highest yeah. one, I believe. Woo! So. That's exciting. Um, yeah. But look, this is the reality situation. Um, it'd be interesting to see what this Hornets summer league squad next year. I know everyone wants a a new coach and a new point guard. Uh, there will probably be a new coach just because they share around the coach each year. It was Dutch Gately. It was Jordan Serenkamp. It was Marlon Garnett. It probably will be a new coach next year. Um, I think next year they'll probably start Nick Smith Jr. and Amari Bailey. I don't think they're going to bring in an undrafted free agent point guard and then start him over one of those guys. And I'm I'm waiting for Hornets Twitter to revolt in disgust. But I'm just telling you, that's what I think would probably happen. And that's if they don't draft someone else next year. So um, that should be fun. But look, thank, I put a fork in me. I'm done watching this Hornets Summer League team. It was it was a tough watch until Kobe Simmons and Xavier Sneed able to save the day towards the uh, the end of that Minnesota Timberwolves game. But uh, what could have been what looked like probably one of the most exciting summer leagues on record of that roster 
became one of the most depressing very, very, very quickly. So thank God we don't have to go through this tape again because it was painful, Chase. I'm going to take that as you not wanting to bring any of the veteran or non-rostered players that were on the Summer League roster onto the Hornets next year uh, in really any capacity. No. Yeah, I think I, I think I might be with you. I think Justin Robinson and Trey Scott, I think, played well. Um, but I, it wouldn't surprise oh. me if uh, nobody... I thought Trey Scott was fine. I thought over. Justin Robinson was terrible, apart from basically the last game, which I thought he looked okay. He looked, and He's coming off his major injury. Yeah, Yeah. I, right. I thought they, they thought he was going to be the veteran point guard. I, th- I think going. so. That was the plan, yeah. and it, that did not go anything like they, they hoped. So, yeah, that's it for, for player grades. I guess before we get out of here... Um, any thoughts on this backup guard situation? We saw the report the other day that Dennis Smith Jr. was offered more money by Charlotte before he went to Brooklyn and signed there because um, he felt he had a clearer path to minutes. That was reported by Mike Scotter of Hoops Hype. Uh, there was also the report that they were interested briefly in Aaron Holiday. There is reports that they're interested in trading for DeLob Wright. Um, it does seem that Charlotte aren't happy with just having Point Terry as the backup point guard. They are searching here for the the veteran market. I can't say I love almost any of the options that are out there right now on the free agency market for point guards. I think they're all pretty potential to be pretty major, major downgrades here. Um, Can't say I love, love the idea of any of these guys playing 60 minutes a night or starting if Lamella ball gets injured. Yeah. Um, Basically, the way that I would put it is that Teo Maladon is at worst like the third or fourth best option for the backup point guard next year. Yeah, the I only players fair. I can I can really think of that I would certainly put ahead of him are Io Desunmu, and I mean, just don't think that maybe I, I just yeah, like that might be it actually. Like I don't, and I get Delon Wright. I guess as a trade target would count as well. Those are the I only agree. Two guys I, that I, would I would put him ahead. ahead but do you want to be drafting away assets to pick up a backup point guard who like, no. even if Lamelo got injured, Terrozier would start. So he's going to be a backup. Even if your main guy gets injured, basically like it's just not something that the Charlotte Hornets team have ever committed assets to backup point guards. Now when they have, it's actually gone pretty well. Jeremy Lin, Tony Parker, like they've had some really good. And some of those like been the most, some of the most fun seasons where they yeah. found success. But for whatever reason, I know the reason. It's because they've got two start-level players you can play point guard. So why do you need to spend big on a backup? But with Lamelo's health issues and injuries, um, they're, they're taking a little bit of a risk here. But yeah, I don't want to be giving up assets to trade for Dylan Wright for a one-year rental to play 14 minutes per night. I, I, I like him as a player. And if you can get him for free... I mean, this is the thing. Chase, would you trade James Bucknight or Kai Jones just straight up for Dylan Wright? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because if if yeah. you're not picking up those options, and Washington right. is probably one of those places where they go, maybe we do take a gamble on either of those guys. And if Charlotte just, if they're planning to decline the option anyway, and they're just done with either of those guys for the experiment, but I still don't feel great about trading away first round picks for veteran point guard rentals. But it's no, if the they've already made the decision, of- then. I would I I couldn't argue against it and tell them that they were being stupid. Like at this point, the assets are worth nothing. You can't trade it in for anything higher than, than maybe that's what you have to do if you don't want to commit past this year. 
Right. And it's like you have to make some sort of move or acquisition in some way. So you might as well just make it low cost. Like the only other thing I can even think of other than just straight up for Book Knight or Kai Jones is maybe that 2024 second they have from Boston, which in all likelihood is going to be between like 52 and 60. But like, why would the Wizards like the Wizards could get more for DeLon Wright than that? I don't so, so I mean, I don't know. I mean, I imagine if they that that trade was available, that it would have already happened. You know, so I it, I yeah. don't know. It's I, I think we're right that it, the, the the trade options here are probably too expensive, and the free agency options have completely dried up, apart from giving Io DeSumo the MLE. So, we'll uh, see how Dennis goes. Smith leaving Charlotte for less money in Brooklyn. I have to say, like you you never know the details. Whenever a a homegrown player whose career you have essentially, well, not you've regenerated. They've, they've rescued their own career, but you've played a big part in that, in a coach that believed in him. For him to then take less money to go elsewhere sets my spidey senses of something being, you know, he's wanting to get away from the Charlotte Hornets organization. I don't know why. Like, he's not made enough money where he's like, yeah, I can just, it's not even like he's gone somewhere where he's necessarily going to win a championship. It's a right. really strange one. Um, maybe he knows some plans. They've got the roster. Um, I, I don't know. But when you're willing to pay someone above the vet minimum and they take that to go elsewhere, there's there, there's more to that than just, oh, yeah, I prefer the Brooklyn situation. There's definitely more to it that we don't know. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's got to be something there. Like money is king, in, especially if you're a player that isn't, signing a multi-year deal you'd think that that would be your default option but clearly it was not so we will have to see maybe he knows Mm -hmm. that there's a big blockbuster trade coming that's going to completely redo everyone's view of this offseason and the hornets are gonna roll into the playoffs next year or something or maybe i'm dreaming and i'm gonna wake up in a few minutes but who knows probably the latter yeah Um... i think it might be Anything else before we get out of here, Chase? I don't think so. Thank you to everybody that listens to this. It felt therapeutic to to get all of our, our grievances out after watching these summer league games. I'm sure you felt pretty similarly, James. So I hope all the listeners uh, were nodding along with us as well um, and got to think about this before we put Hornets basketball, actual on-court basketball, on the back burner for about three months here. So. Yeah, and I think we're probably going to. Bugs are back out on the court. We're probably going to take a little bit of an off-season break here. Um, we we normally do this in in August, anyway. Uh, obviously, if PJ Washington news breaks or something else happens, we'll 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 try and jump back on. And depending how my family stuff goes, we'll try and jump back on. But we we might have a couple of weeks away. Um, but yeah, I guess just a big thank you for everybody who's listened uh, over the draft period. I mean, our listenership has, I mean, doubled basically, if not more so um, uh, over the last two months. Uh, we've had some fantastic guests on. We've talked a lot of draft. We've talked a lot of prospects, players development. And um, look, we're just hoping all of you stay on board the train all the way on to the NBA regular season. And uh, we're looking forward to a, what I think could be a, a really exciting season, which uh, Hornets over under right now, I believe is at 30 or 31 and a half, which is, very very low so if you can get that number right now i'd I'd get on that uh but yeah we will uh thanks for everyone sticking with us hope you've enjoyed listening to the podcast and you stay classy
Bye, everybody.